Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Sport card collections are flying off the shelves in this growing competitive market, which is why I have an opportunity for you. Check out the Break Junkies on Instagram at the Break Junkies, partnered with Sports Card Media at Sports Card Mania 305 or SportsCardMania.net. Find a variety of box collections with all the top brands such as Panini, Tops, Prism, and more for every sport. They even have a large assortment of Pokemon packs and Funko Pops. Every stream has giveaways and affordable breaks when you watch the Brick Junkies on Instagram. So give them a follow at the Brick Junkies and inquire about their inventory today when you go to sportscardmania.net, the number one source for your collection. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You're watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show live on BellyUp TV at BellyUp.tv on any web browsing device. You can also watch us on your Roku channels when you download the BellyUp Sports channel on there. Catch all of our live and video on-demand content every single day. One of the best original, fresh-taking sports talk content out there on the market today very happy to be a part of that 
As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We got a great show in store for you guys here today. We are wrapping up the Consistency Grade series. And this is going to be like the, the final episode of season two or season three, excuse me. I guess you could say this is like the in-between the epilogue of season three because next week we'll be back with the coaching changes, fantasy impact. Chris Dowhauer will be joining us for that show. And that'll be the kickoff of season four of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. So just remember that next Wednesday night at 9 p.m. right here on BellyUp.tv season four. We'll be kicking off with the coaching changes, fantasy impact heading into the 2022 season. As always, download us on your favorite podcast app. Give us a five-star review. Those reviews help immensely with the show. And don't forget to subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show YouTube channel. You'll always catch all of our content, including our clips out there. And, you know, give us a follow on TikTok at Show and on social media at the same handle. So let's dive in. And it's the tight end consistency grades today. I know, tight end, so exciting. We're going to try to give you lots of energy so you have something to be excited about. Before we dive in, though, I want to bring this up. Because the fact that I have to say that the tight ends at the top are just not exciting to go through recapping them, grading them, ranking them, projecting them. It's just not fun. So many people in my industry want to get rid of the kicker because, you know, kickers are whatever, you know, they're not part of it. Uh, They're too unpredictable. I'm telling you right now. And I don't know if this is just because I was, you know, second place in the fantasy pros ranker when it came to kicker. Maybe I just have a better handle on it than, than most do. I don't know, but I think kicker is more predictable, just as valuable, more consistent than tight ends. And you're going to see that as we go through the show today. That's right. I'm making the argument. I know I'm going to get booed off the show right off the bat on social media, but I'm making the argument that I think kicker is more sustainable, more predictable and less of a headache than trying to figure out, what tight end to start every single week, in particular if you don't have a top seven guy? So many people want to get rid of the kicker. I'm in leagues. I'll just give you guys a little insight to what I do off to the side sometimes. I'm in a couple of leagues where we've gotten rid of the solo tight end position. We didn't make a tight end premium. Instead, we decided we're just going to make this a tight end slash receiver spot, kind of just like an extra flex spot but only for tight ends and receivers, not for running backs. We did that because it's just too annoying. Once you get outside the top five, good luck getting a guy that you pick on the right week. More times than not, you're going to wind up with like four or five points if you're lucky. And as we go through it today, you're going to see like even some of these tight ends that finish inside the top 12 or consistency grades really weren't that consistent. Really, we're still very hard to pick. Okay, is this the game I play you or am I going to get dudded out? It's like playing the roulette table. Maybe it's close to 50-50, but a lot of times you wind up picking the wrong one (laughs) and you're screwed anyway. Tight ends are very, very difficult. So that's why I think it's important we go through them today. We'll reflect on 2021. We'll give our analysis, our early on analysis of some expectations we might have for 2022 and beyond for dynasty purposes. But this is really a hard position to nail down. It can be a big advantage 
as those of you who've had Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews last year know. It can give you a huge advantage if you hit it right, but so few people in the league are going to be able to. And it's one of the reasons why I think it should be considered in the same conversation of getting rid of kickers. Should be considered to just put it as an extra flex position. Because if you don't have one of those top guys, it's not like you can find guys off the waiver wire nine times out of ten either. It's a ball and chain type of position in fantasy football. But let's get into it here. Let's kick this thing off with our top guys that we're going to talk about, which, of course, is Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews. Bam, right there at the top. If you can't see on the graphic, they're one and two. Kelsey actually nudged out Mark Andrews by just a little bit. 73% of the time, he finished in the top 12. Now, I probably should have prefaced this by saying, the tight end grades are similar to the quarterback grades. And if you didn't see the quarterback episode or if you didn't watch quarterback episode or listen to the quarterback episode, go back on our YouTube, subscribe there, or download on your favorite podcast app. Quarterback all the way through wide receivers already up after this show's over. Our tight end consistency grades will be up as well. But it's, it's similar to how we did the quarterback grades. I want to know how many times you finished inside the top 12. Therefore, you gave me a tight end one week. There's a little bit of a buffer zone between 13 and 16 as far as like we don't really consider that busting out. But if you are 19th or worse in your finish for the week, you're considered a bust because you definitely hindered teams that are in 12 man leagues or less at that point. So that's kind of how we broke it all down here. So top five finishes, top 12 finishes, how many of those, how many busts and all that stuff in between. We'll go over all that. So as I said, Travis Kelsey, number one, 73% of the time, 27% of the time he was a non-star. That's it. He had four bust games. That's unlike Travis Kelsey. That's unlike what we've had in years past. Kelsey, the big thing about Kelsey coming in this season was that everybody was actually contemplating, not just contemplating, did it in most cases. And even non-tight end premium leagues drafting Travis Kelsey in the first round. The arguments going into this was that it gives you a big advantage. He scores like a wide receiver one, not just a wide receiver one, but coming off the 2020 season was a top five wide receiver. And he's consistent as they come. Now this season, of course, if you had Travis Kelsey, if you drafted him in the first round, I think most people who did would tell you that they probably wouldn't do it again. And Chris and I were one of the advocates saying that we understand the argument. I wasn't making a strong case against it because I completely understood the rationale of the argument of why you take Travis Kelsey, even if it's non-premium for tight end scoring, and still take him in the first round anyway. I understood it. I understood what you're going for there. You're going for the positional advantage that it creates. And Travis Kelsey, he didn't finish as the number one tight end overall, but he was still the number two. So it's not like completely dudded out. But the big difference is, as I mentioned, in 2020, he finishes a top five receiver. 2021, fast forward, he just slipped into the top 10. Why is that important? We're like, well, if it's top 10 receiver, still really good. Yeah, it's still good. But that, that wide receiver, six through nine, six through 10 area, that's usually a guy who's not getting drafted until like the second, third round turn on a 12-man league in half-point PPR. So when you're giving up an RB1, when you're giving up a wide receiver one because you're taking a tight end one, what would usually happen when people found themselves in situations that they were lacking in depth? 
It probably didn't have as strong of either an RB2 or a wide receiver 2 or both, depending upon what happened in their drafts. So I don't think there's going to be anybody making the argument this year in redraft leagues to take Travis Kelsey in the first round, nor do I think Mark Andrews either. We'll get into him in the second. So that was the big question of him going into it. Now, is he worth a second-round pick again next season? Yeah. But unless you're in tight end premium, and of course, tight end premium is a whole different ballgame. For those of you who don't know, that's, you know, there's a boost to the scoring for the tight ends. Sometimes it's an extra half a point per reception. So if you're in PPR, it's a point and a half. Uh, sometimes there's maybe a point or two bonus for tight end touchdowns. So instead of six points, it might be seven or eight. It just depends on the league. But that, that's what I, I'm talking about when I say tight end premium for those who may not know already. Just to try to give something to kind of equalize out the value of the tight end position in relative to the wide receivers and the running backs. Look, things are going to be okay with the Chiefs. We can all make the argument that they might have had one of their lesser productive years, and yet it was still highly productive by the end of it, last year because they went through a long stretch of kind of trying to figure out what to do as teams were just completely taking away the deep ball from them, and they just weren't showing patience until they finally learned that they needed to. Travis Kelsey's still great. And even in Dynasty Startup Leagues today, I would still be taking Travis Kelsey in my top three, most likely. It would probably be Mark Andrews, Kyle Pitts, and then it would be Travis Kelsey because he's still going to help you win a championship. And because these tight ends and him in particular have been able to stay healthy and stay in such good shape, they can they can play it a long time. Tony Gonzalez played into his mid-late 30s. Travis Kelsey, I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to do something similar. So he's still going to be a high pick for me, but the argument of a non-premium tight end league for a redraft league or a best ball league, I'm not taking the pick at Travis Kelsey. It leaves you too thin at either the RB2 or the wide receiver two. And as we saw, taking him in the first round, if he doesn't give you top five wide receiver production, can leave you lingering, especially when you're watching Mark Andrews get the production that you were hoping for when you took Travis Kelsey there to begin with. But let's move into Mark Andrews. We mentioned him a couple of times. Let's talk about him real quick. So he comes in my number two. 69% of the time, he finished inside the top 12 but he was the number one tight end overall. And that's a that's a bit of a jump. He was number five tight end in 2020. Now, what was the biggest difference? What created the jump from number five to number one overall? Especially Mark Andrews, a guy that it was already great. I mean, we, nobody was arguing that. He was already a top-targeted guy. Going into the year, we had a bunch of questions, right? They drafted Rashad Bateman. Marquise Brown was getting into his third-year breakout potentially, and to some degree he did. We talked about him a little bit in the last episode. The big difference, though, was the volume. Was there going to be enough volume to go around? Now, I don't know if it's because J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards both went down their ACLs and the Ravens had to roll out this nursing home stable of running backs to replace them. I don't know if that was in particular the key. But the volume skyrocketed for the Ravens in 2021. Just to give you an idea, they were ninth in pass attempts with 611. Ninth. You know where they were in 2020, if you don't remember? 32nd. Only 406. So obviously, it wasn't just because of the one extra game that we saw the huge jump on the Baltimore Ravens. They went from 32nd in the league in pass attempts to ninth. 
And their offense wasn't even particularly that great. Now, there were some games where Mark Andrews was just hyper-targeted, right? Tyler Huntley came in for a couple times. It seemed like whenever he played, like, Andrews and then nobody else was getting the football. But even when it was Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown was having his big weeks, Andrews was always involved. And before you start asking me the questions, well, what happens next year when Rashad Bateman's there from day one? How does that change things? My answer to you is that I don't know that it does. Because, again, the volume. If the volume is going to maintain in the passing game, if they want Lamar Jackson to throw the ball more like they did last year, and they want to try to open this offense up a little bit more and adjust, well, then there's going to be plenty of volume to go around for Andrews and Brown and Rashad Bateman. Even with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards back, and if anything, if the offense gets more efficient with the additional volume, with the Ravens, you don't need much. If they're going to hover around that top 10 area and pass attempts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I'm not worried about Andrews dipping back down to where he was previous to this past year. It was a huge dump. He had 88 targets in 2020, which was his high in his career to that point, to 153. That's a huge jump in targets. But as long as the volume maintains, and I think it's here to stay, Andrews will be just fine. Which is why in Dynasty Leagues, I think he's my number one guy. Because he's still on the younger side, but he's more established than, say, Kyle Pitts, who we'll probably talk about in the second half of today's show. Stay tuned for that one. This next guy, there's not a whole lot we can really talk about right now. Rob Gronkowski, he comes in at my number three consistent tight end. Now, yeah, he played only 12 games or 11 games, excuse me, this year. And, of course, with him, the immediate thing that jumps to mind is, well, if he does decide to play, and he hasn't announced his retirement yet, and I feel like if he was going to retire, that's something he would have announced by now. Maybe not. Maybe he'll still do it. We'll see. But I think I think Gronk's actually going to play. This would be the first time in Gronk's career that it would not be Tom Brady throwing him the football. So we have that question. of like, whoa. I mean, one of the things that made Gronk so good even now is the obvious connection that him and Brady shared and always knowing where each other was on the field. So there would be some sort of adjustment there, no matter where he decides to go. Now, from what I understand, from what we're reading between the tea leaves, I don't think, no matter what happens, unless Brady comes back, I don't think Gronk is going to stay with the Bucks. Remember, he is a free agent. So he can pick and choose where he wants to go. There's been a number of teams rumored. The leading rumor team with that seems to be a little bit legitimate at least or the most legitimate I should say to this point because there's a bunch of teams getting flown out there as possibilities but the one I've heard the most come up is the Arizona Cardinals which makes sense they traded for Zach Ertz but he's a free agent do you really want to spend the money on bringing back a Zach Ertz if you can maybe get Rob Gronkowski on a year and it's a team that is competing for the Super Bowl they have guys on expi- who are older on expiring contracts supposed to be a good team this would be the next type of step up I know there's a lot going on 
right now with Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals and all that. But as of today, actually, their GM and Cliff Kingsbury both got extensions through the 2027 season. So they're in it for the long haul with the staff they have. I don't think there's going to be too many changes happening. Regardless of what anybody says, I would be willing to place a large wager that Kyler Murray's not going to get moved to a different team, especially not this year. If anything, it would if it would happen at all, it would be next year where he's a little bit closer to his contract actually being up. He's still got two more years on his deal. They're not going to move him now. Not a guy on a rookie quarterback contract. It ain't going to happen. So that would make some sense. That would make you think that going into next year, you know what? Gronk can still get it done. I mean, he was tight end five overall, even though he only played... 11 games. Tight end five overall. Not not points per game overall. He played five to six less games than everybody else, and he still finishes a top five tight end. That's how good Rob Gronkowski still is as a fantasy asset. It's amazing. It really is. But there's not a lot for us to go on moving forward until his situation gets a little more clarity. So on that note, let's talk about somebody whose situation, at least moving forward, is, is pretty clear as far as what team he's going to be on. That's George Kittle. He comes in my number four consistent tight end. 62% of the time, he finished inside the top 12. He played 14 games this year, which, you know, that was a big improvement, right? He only played eight games the year before. He always seems to be hurt and out for a handful of them. I mean, this year was, a no, was really no different. He missed three games had one where he was complete zero, so it was kind of like he played 13. Now, here's what I wish would happen for for Kittle and what would take him to the next level. Score some touchdowns. Why the 49ers don't utilize him more in the red zone, I have no idea. I I couldn't tell you. He had a career high in touchdowns this past year at six. Think about that. We all know how dynamic a talent George Kittle is. This past year was his career high in touchdowns, and it was only six. People often wonder, you know, with George Kittle, because he has the talent of a Travis Kelsey, he always seems to be like that third-ranked tight end for the most part in ECR. Now, we'll get into who was number two this past year, which was Darren Waller, and a little later, and what happened there, but... The reason why he's always a top, it was always a top three, top four guy, but he's always on the lower end of that. He doesn't score the touchdowns. It's maddening. And then this year, he had five bust games, which is the most out of all the tight ends in the top five on this list. What would happen? Well, the 49ers offensive line would get banged up. And then George Kittle, because he's a dual threat tight end, as in he can block and receive, Got asked to block a lot. Trent Williams missed a couple of games. George Kittle's blocking the entire game. It's not that he would miss snaps. He'd be out there on the field, but he wasn't part of the game plan. Games in which they would feature just Debo Samuel for the day, George Kittle would kind of get left behind. So of the top five tight ends, him coming at number four, he still had five bust games, which is the most of all of them. And it's not because he's not good. It's because he's great, and he's great at blocking, and sometimes he gets asked to do that, and it affects his fantasy output. Ultimately, we know George Kittle is a top three tight end most times, 
as long as he's healthy and out there. But there is a little bit more Jekyll and Hyde to his game than the other elite tight ends, normally speaking. And that's what kind of keeps him away from being like the top number one guy. And while I'll have a Mark Andrews, not just in Dynasty, but in 2022, probably will have a Mark Andrews and a Travis Kelsey ahead of George Kittle yet again. And the list may not stop there as we get closer to projection season when the NFL draft winds up. Let's move it to our next guy. Now, this guy, he was hurt early on. He was our big, he was a big uh, uh, breakout from 2020. Got a big contract. He was on my bust list as far as where he was being drafted at the time. Ultimately, I get proven right. And the guy I'm talking about is Logan Thomas. Ultimately, I get proven right because of an injury. So I'm, that is not, I'm not saying that as in, I oh, oh, I was right. You should have listened to me. I knew he was only going to play five games this season. No, 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 no. And in fact, if, if we go through the process, had he kept up the pace that he was on for those five games, I would have been dead wrong. So this is definitely not me trying to take a victory lap of, of any sort. Logan Thomas, 60% of those five games. I know it's a lower sample size, but my cutoff's four games. If you played at least four games, you get to make the consistency grades. So he played five. 60% of those, he finished inside the top 12. He had one top five finish, three top 12 finishes altogether, and only one bus game. That was more my thing. Of the five games, he only had one bus game. That is to say, he finished as the tight end 19 or lower. He was on his way. He was on his way to another great tight end season who's maybe a guy who's outside the top five necessarily or or hovering around that area. Number two pass catcher to Terry McLaurin. Still still dealing with all the stupid quarterback issues they were having. Ryan Fitzpatrick going down, having to, to turn to Taylor Heineke. Uh, still having to do all that. He was on his way to another good season. Now, how when exactly he's able to come back from the ACL, we will see. But they do expect him to be back at least around training camp. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you're cleared for contact at training camp? You're going to be a full go of practice at training camp? That remains to be seen. Right now, the word is there's possibly a chance Logan Thomas could maybe avoid the pup list. But remember, this injury took place in December because he was injured already before that, tried to come back, and then that's when he blew the ACL. So unfortunately, it did happen later on in the season. So we're going to have to see how this whole thing progresses out. But he's an athletic guy, and unless the Washington Commanders, let's all get used to the name, the Washington Commanders, unless they are able to bring in some weapons, or more importantly, address the quarterback position in a real significant way, there's still going to be that question of what can Logos Thomas do. And now because he'll be on the wrong side of 30 and trying to come back from an ACL injury, you're going to have to use caution. If you're in dynasty, your best bet's probably to hold on to him. At least hold on to him until he's supposed to come back. I would probably try to move off of him, especially if Washington didn't get a quarterback that I felt like was going to be there or a significant improvement for the long run for them. I'd wait until it's eminent that Logan Thomas returns, and then I'd probably move off of him. Because, again, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's a journeyman tight end, so we already don't have a long track record of him being great, and he's coming off an ACL injury. 
wait until a championship contending tight end needy team presents itself when he's about to be on his way back and then trade him. Trade him for what you can get. Because I don't know. I'm going to be a little bit queasy on Logan Thomas. He's somebody that if we get into the 2022 redrafts or best ball and he's going late, I'm talking like late in the back end, like towards the end of drafts with like the, the borderline tight end one, tight end two guys. If he's going back there, I might take a look at him. But if he's going any higher than that, if you're drafting him as a top 10 tight end, no way. It's too much risk. It's too much risk. But I did want to point out that he was on his way to another pretty productive season had this not happened to him. Let's get in one more before the break. Let's talk about Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox coming in my number six consistent tight end. 57% of the time, he finished inside the top 12. A, a great breakout for Dawson Knox. This is a player I was really happy about this because he's a player that I've been a big fan of for a while now, but injuries. Wasn't always able to stay on the field. Had some issues blocking early on in his career that didn't necessarily allow him to get the playing time you wanted to see, but always a tight end that I felt I felt had a great athletic profile and obviously being on the Bills on a team that's pass heavy. Usually those two things can at least produce a decent tight end, if nothing else. And he broke out in a really big way, but he did and he did it at the same time. It was mostly tied to touchdowns. He had nine touchdowns this past season, which was tied for second best for the tight end position. Weeks one through seven, he was the tight end four. But then he was the tight end eight, weeks 10 through 18. Now, that's not bad. I'm not saying it is. But he was really on a roll in the beginning of the season. And it was largely touchdown base. But he was starting to earn more and more targets. Remember, Dawson Knox was suddenly, there was discussions early on in the season about him. Maybe it was he the number two actual pass catcher to Stephon Diggs in his pass heavy offense. It was trending that way. And then he got injured. He only missed two games. He came back, but it took a little while before he was back really in the rotation the same way he had been early on the season. So I would have been really curious had he not gotten hurt with the momentum that he was picking up where he would have wound up at. And you already hear it in the offseason now. Coaches are already talking about uh, Ken Dorsey, who's the new offensive coordinator, was the quarterback's coach for them last year. He's already talking about how he expects Dawson Knox to have even better numbers. Now, yards and receptions, I don't think that's going to be overly hard for him to do, but touchdowns, it might be difficult. Remember, he might have he might be more involved in the offense. He might have better numbers. He might not have a progression when it comes to touchdowns. Nine touchdowns a lot. Again, it was the second most this season by a tight end, tied for the second most. So that should tell you all you need to know about you know, you know, that stat. And we know touchdowns from year to year aren't necessarily all that predictable to begin with. Keep in mind with him, Gabriel Davis, we expect him to be much more involved as the number two receiver to Stephon Diggs. We think there's a decent chance to move on from Cole Beasley. I doubt Emmanuel Sanders returns. And Gabriel Davis has more of that touchdown profile type of receiver than what they had last year and, frankly, in a few years from now. So there's just that opportunity that perhaps, I'm not saying you can't do it because nine touchdowns isn't a mark that you can't duplicate or even improve upon. But I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back and say he gets maybe 200, 250 more yards, 10 to 20 receptions, 
and winds up with maybe six or seven touchdowns instead of nine. And it would still be a top eight, maybe even top six productive type of tight end season. He's somebody I like a lot. And when we're looking at these mid-level tight ends, there's this narrative out there, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, that you should either take one of the top guys or wait to the back end and just draft somebody with upside. Because a lot of times you'll find these mid-level tight ends, you wind up getting burned more times than not. And you wind up wasting a draft pick that would have would have rather have been with for an RB2 or an RB3 with upside or same thing for a receiver two or a receiver three with some upside somewhere around there trying to bolster out and, and really give yourself some depth at those positions. And it's usually a traffic being spent there because we're talking about 12 man leagues. It's somewhere between that seventh, ninth round, typically speaking, sometimes the six. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. But Knox is one of those guys I will be looking at that position because while he broke out, quote-unquote, I don't think we saw the big breakout that Dawson Knox potentially could be capable of. I don't think we did. But here's what we do. Take a quick break. When we come back in the second half, we're going to pick things up because there's a lot more guys I want to talk to. But everybody stay tuned to the MD's Fantasy Football Show here on Belly Up TV. We'll be back with you right after this. Exciting news just came across from our friends at Manscaped. They just launched their fourth generation performance package. This ultimate package includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Manscaped, the leaders in male grooming, have done it again to make your grooming game next level. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the new performance package 4.0. By going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. The performance package 4.0 by Manscaped has arrived and oh man it was worth the wait. Inside this package you'll find our lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code Fantasy at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code Fantasy at manscaped.com. Your balls have been through enough this past year, so treat them with the best tools for the job from Manscaped. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are watching the MD's Fantasy Football Show live on BellyUp TV at BellyUp.tv on any web browsing device or check us out on BellyUp Sports on your Roku devices, too. 
download that channel. Always subscribe to our YouTube channel. We have all of our content on there at all times. The MD Saints Football Show, just search it, subscribe to it. Give us a five-star review and download us on your favorite podcast app so you can listen to us anytime, anywhere. Don't forget, too, if you want to listen to the live broadcast, we're on Burns Radio from Thursdays and Fridays at 4 p.m. coming up. We'll post it out on social media at BillyFMDFF Show for the other times. I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're going over our tight end consistency grades tonight. I want to pick it up a little bit on here because I got a few more guys I do really want to talk about that, you know, when we get to these later halves, you know, outside these top five guys, these top six guys that we went over in the first half of the show, this is where we get to the crapshoots. But I thought this was interesting. Hunter Henry came in as my number seven guy. Hunter Henry, the Mr. Touchdown boom or bust tight end himself. Now, we talk about all the time that when you get to a certain range of tight ends, and it usually starts at about seven or eight, somewhere around there, that everyone is pretty much a touchdown or bust from that point on. Hunter, There's no better example than this than Hunter Henry, who literally had eight games inside the top 12. Seven of his games were busts. Every game he scored a touchdown, he was inside the top 12. If he didn't, he was a bust. There was no in-between. He was either going to help you that week or he was completely dudding you altogether. No in-between. And he's a number seven consistent guy. If that doesn't give you a clear-cut picture as to what these tight ends look like once you got outside of these top six guys, I don't know what does. And that's what's so maddening about a tight end position because you don't have a lot of guys with a floor. And with Hunter Henry... Who knows if he's going to do it again? They paid a lot of money to him, but they also paid a lot of money to Janu Smith. Smith has one extra year on his contract. You would think he has to get more involved than what he was a season ago. I can't imagine that duplicating itself, but maybe he'll still keep that role. Maybe they're just like, look, we paid Janu Smith all that money to be an extra tackle, an extra athletic tackle. I don't, I don't know. I could. I have no, no rhyme or reason to be able to tell you what happened last year when it comes to Janu Smith, other than I apologize for thinking that he could actually have been something and been a main weapon that they went to. And because they overpaid guys like Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, I don't know that it's a given that the Patriots are going to be significantly upgrading along their pass catchers anywhere. I don't. So we may see something similar again with maybe a little bit of a different distribution, but I don't know how you're going to feel good about it moving forward. And even though Hunter Henry finished as the tight end nine overall and comes in at our number seven guy on a consistency grades. I would not be tempted into drafting him as a top 10 guy next year. No way. Wouldn't be tempted into doing it. He's one of those guys. If his ADP is actually going that high, I don't think it will be, but even if it is, I'd rather take a shot on a guy on the last round who I think has some upside. Let's talk about a tight end who did have a little bit more of a floor, but as it turned out, he finished in the top 12 a little bit less than Hunter Henry. That was Dallas Goddard. Now, Goddard's tied with Dalton Schultz, so we're going to get to both these guys now. Both the guys really tie with TJ Hawkinson, too, but he's for another conversation. Both these guys came in at 50% uh, consistency grade, so they finished the top 12 half of their games. Now, Goddard, though, he was also the second most pass-targeted option on his team with Devonta Smith. 
to a prominent role player. And it took six weeks for Zach Ertz to get traded. So some of this gets bogged down and all that too. From week seven on, he was the tight end six overall. So Zach Ertz is out of the picture. Dallas got her top six guy. Not all that surprising. I think the only question we really have going into next year would be, do they add a significant weapon? Now they got three first round picks and they're under the cap. So there's a lot of moves that the Eagles, who did make the playoffs, they have a lot of resources at their disposal to aggressively upgrade their personnel. And they know that they need to upgrade some of the pass catchers. Now, maybe if they do that, it would lead to Dallas Goddard getting more touchdowns because that's something that kind of hindered him last year. He only had four. For tight ends, you're kind of looking for those touchdowns because as Hunter Henry showed you how important they can be. But he also had 14.8 yards per reception. That was second overall. He was getting targeted down the field. It was kind of nice to see. They're using a tight end as a down-the-field aggressive option, especially when Zach Ertz was out of the picture. Next year, he's going to have a full season of knowing he's the guy. He's the guy. So Goddard, kind of similar to a Dawson Knox, while they had their quote-unquote breakout years of their career to this point this past year, I don't think we've seen the ceiling of these guys yet. I really don't. So we're going to watch what happens with the Philadelphia Eagles. Even if they're a run-first team, there's a safety blanket in effect with the Dallas Goddard for Jalen Hurts. So he is another one of those mid-level tight ends who I'm going to be looking at that I do think comes in with some upside that goes along with him. And he's also one of the few tight ends that has a floor because of the volume that he does command with his prominent role within that offense. Now, Dalton Schultz was also 50%. Tied with Dallas Goddard. So they're both eighth on my grades, but Schultz was the number three tight end overall in scoring for the year. Yep. Dalton Schultz was the fantasy gold at the tight end position. What makes him even more gold was that I don't, I think there's very, very few leagues out there, especially 12 man or less leagues that drafted Dalton Schultz. You likely picked him up off the waiver wire because there's still some question as to whether or not it was him or Blake Jarwin at the beginning of the year and how much they were even going to be involved Because of the wide receivers. So why was Schultz involved? And I'm going to put this out on the record. I was one of the people saying during the middle of the season, trade, sell high, sell high. It was every week. You can go back and listen. It was every week I was imploring MD Nation to sell high on Dalton Schultz. Now, if you got a good deal for him, you may not have regretted that because one of the guys I was telling you to sell high for was Dallas Goddard and something, which was before the Zach Ertz deal. So maybe if you did something like that, it would have worked out. But ultimately, selling high on Dalton Schultz, if you didn't get a great deal back, was a mistake on my part. Now, why was that? Why, why did it not go the way I was anticipating? Well, all the numbers were telling me one thing, that when Michael Gallup returned from his injury... Dalton Schultz would be the guy who'd be the most likely one left out of the target rotation that was going on in Dallas. Made sense. CeeDee Lamb was getting his. Even though Amari Cooper wasn't being overly productive, he was still getting his targets. And then it was Dalton Schultz who was picking up the slack since Michael Gallup had gone down. Well, what happens? Gallup returns. But instead of Schultz getting edged out of the picture, you have CeeDee Lamb missing a game, Amari Cooper missing a game. Amari Cooper being left out of the offense entirely at times, which was mind-boggling. And the other factor, which I think this was the big one, Dak Prescott suddenly 
hyper-targeting the middle of the field. I remember, you get the second half of the season. Weeks 10 through 17, Dalton Schultz was the tight end five. That was also around the time period where it felt like Dak was just targeting, targeting between the hashes. When all three receivers were healthy, CeeDee Lamb was getting most of the targets. wasn't being overly productive with them, but he was getting most of the targets, and so was Schultz. Middle guys. Lamb was playing the slot receiver. It was Schultz. When Gallup goes down from injury later on in the year, all of a sudden we're seeing flashes from Cedric Wilson. Again, he was targeting the slot receiver. Lamb went back out to the outside, but he never stopped targeting Dalton Schultz. Now, Dak has a history of throwing to the tight end with Jason Witten. We all know this, but is he that conservative, let's say? Because it wasn't going down the field with these throws. Is he that conservative again next year if he's a little bit healthier and a little bit more confident on the ankle? That remains to be seen. But what can be said is that Schultz is going nowhere as far as being the starting tight end. And now he's proven it over almost a year and a half now of being a good productive tight end if given the opportunity. So I think he's actually here to stay at the very least as a top eight guy for 2022 and even dynasty right now. We don't know where Amari Cooper is going to go. We don't know if they're going to retain Michael Gallup. There's a real scenario here where depending upon what the Cowboys do with their offense, Schultz might be the next targeted weapon or at least have the best chemistry, the most experience with Dak Prescott next to C.D. Lamb. There's a real chance that happens. So don't sleep on Schultz. It wasn't just an outbreak year, and then he's going to go off into the ether. I think Schultz might be here to stay. So keep that in mind. Now let's talk about TJ Hawkinson. Like I said, this is a little bit of a separate conversation when it comes to TJ Hawkinson. The reason being is that he finishes 10th on my consistency grades. Well, he really ties at 8th with Dallas Goddard. He also had 50-50 as far as his starter percentage inside the top 12. But this was a guy who was on his way to being a top six guy. Points per game, he was tight end six. He was averaging seven targets a game. Hawkinson was the number one target of this offense until he got injured. Now, that was before St. Brown started to break out, of course. How that's going to come to effect We'll have to see, but I just got done talking about Dalton Schultz and Dak Prescott, who hyper-targeted the middle of the field. Well, while that might not always be his nature, I'll tell you what, Jared Goff as a quarterback, that is his nature. And Dan Campbell and that crew, Ben Johnson now, the new offensive coordinator coming in from the Saints, or they all came from the Saints together. What do the Saints do? They hyper-targeted the middle part of the field. So that philosophy combined with that quarterback's innate nature, <laughs> I'd say a slot receiver and a tight end can both coexist. I hear arguments every summer about how, like, oh, well, it's a slot receiver. They're all operating the same part of the field. I don't know. They might eat into each other. Take one look at the Raiders with Waller and Hunter Renfro over the past couple of seasons. Take a look at the Patriots of old with Gronk and Julian Edelman. If your offense is built to go over the middle of the field and your quarterback already has the innate desire to go over the middle of the field, both a slot receiver and a tight end can eat. And I don't think it's any different. 
TJ Hawkinson, I do believe, would have finished as a top six tight end, if not higher, had he not gotten injured, even if St. Brown would have broken out in the second half of the year. Does the team have to come back from behind every single week? There's enough volume to go around. So I'm not worried about that going into next season. Even if they add a legitimate weapon on the outside, I'm not going to worry about volume. Now, volume for Hawkinson is key because he is dependent upon it. He doesn't really have the big games. He doesn't have that big breakout athletic ability like a George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. He's not on that level. But he is somebody that if you give enough opportunities to, he can be very productive. He is a three-down tight end. He'll be on the field all the time. He can be a touchdown producer. So Hawkins is another guy who'll probably come in that middle-level tight end area who I will be willing to take a shot on because I don't think we've seen his best upside yet either. I think we had a chance for it this year until he got injured. So there's another guy I'm going to keep in mind there. And Dynasty League's the same thing. I'm going to, he's going to probably be rated around the same area, both in 2022 and for Dynasty, around that somewhere between five and eight range. Still on the younger side. An offense, a team in general, that I do think is building in the right direction. So I'm still excited about Hawkinson. It, it sucked that he got injured, but I'm still excited about Hawkinson. Here's another guy a lot of people want to talk about, especially from a dynasty standpoint, and that's Pat Freermuth. 47% of the time, he finished inside the top 12. Another guy like Schultz, most likely you picked up off the waiver wire because nobody really expected him to get to start right away, or even if he was a starting tight end because of his blocking ability was better than that of an Eric Ebron. We also expected Eric Ebron to be the main passing guy. One, he was still getting paid a lot of money. Two, he had done a pretty good job the year before. And that's always kind of been his talent. Three, that's always kind of been his talent. It's always kind of been his role. Well, Pat Freeman showed that, hey, I have enough athletic ability. Ben Roethlisberger fell in love with him early. And like a lot of the other tight ends in this area, he scored enough touchdowns to make himself relevant more times than not, or almost more times than not. Seven touchdowns on the season. 13th overall in scoring. Pretty impressive for a rookie tight end that nobody was really paying attention to. Not for a rookie year fantasy relevant season necessarily. Not going into the year. So very impressive. But now, moving forward, what do you look at Pat Freeman? Because now you have the quarterback situations up, up in arms. We don't know who is going to be in Pittsburgh as of right now. I be shocked if it was actually Mason Rudolph and I hope to God it's not because that'd probably be about the worst thing that could happen but we have a lot of uncertainty around that the Steelers might be going from a pass first team to a complete run first power team next year that's that's also in the cards regardless of who the quarterback is that they get outside of it you know being Aaron Rodgers or something like that but I don't see the Pittsburgh Steelers making a move like that so Pat Freermuth is a little bit trickier because while he impressed in his rookie season and you get really excited from a startup dynasty standpoint or even if you already drafted him in your league, you're real excited about him. You're looking ahead to 2022. He's one of those guys you're looking at like, oh, you're a lower end tight end one, but you know it was just a rookie year. You might have a better breakout year. He's a guy that I, depending upon the situation, might be in my sophomore slump candidates at this particular position. Might be in my, when we do our top five, when we do our, our best five, bus five, sleeper five episodes for each position come August, he might be in my bus. I'm not saying he definitely will be, but he might be in my bus five come then. 
based upon where he's getting drafted at that time. Because this screams a potential regression, especially with how this situation is setting up. Remember, Juju Smith-Schuster might also stay in Pittsburgh because his market has completely diminished after his injury and what was already diminishing market the year before anyway, which is why he had to come back to Pittsburgh for one more year to begin with because he didn't get the deal he wanted. So Pat Freeman is somebody I'm actually a little bit more hesitant. Not hesitant because of what his ability is as a player. He's a three-down tight end. He's got good athletic, good enough athletic ability. He's a solid pass catcher. But he's definitely going to be situation-dependent as far as what his overall value can truly be. And now, let's get to the last, number 12 guy on my consistency grades. Darren Waller. Only 45% of the time did Darren Waller finish inside the top 12. Keep, keep that in mind. It's based on the games that you play. So I'm not talking about like because he was injured, we're knocking him here. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. Out of the 11 games that he played, only 45% of them did he finish in the top 12. Darren Waller, I believe in my rankings as well, if I remember correctly, was the ECR number two tight end because he wasn't as injury prone, hypothetically speaking, going into the year as a George Kittle. He had almost as much volume in the passing game as a Travis Kelsey and maybe as much athletic ability. A lot of people are taking him number two to Travis Kelsey. So yeah, obviously you're disappointed by the end result. I think he was only the 18th tight end overall, and that's largely due to him missing a significant amount of games. But even on a per-game basis, for him to only finish in the top 12 less than 50% of the time, that was also disappointing. Especially the way he started, right? Remember he had a 19-target performance week one? The big key outside of, yes, the, the receptions, the yardage on a per-game basis were on a decline from what they had been the past two years. So there was some disappointing performances in that sense. The biggest decrease from 2020 to 2021 for him, though, was touchdowns. Remember, he had nine touchdowns in 2020. He only had three last year. So he wasn't on pace to even get to that mark. If you guys remember back in 2019, he only had three touchdowns then, too. So he went back to being this guy that was getting targeted in the middle of the field, but was not taking advantage in the red zone. <laughs> that was the issue he ran into. Does that continue? Josh McDaniels taking over? We'll dive more into that next week when we talk about the coaching changes, fantasy impact. Hopefully not. But that's always been kind of an issue with Darren Waller is that He's this big-time pass catcher, and he gets a lot of volume. And he's, he's still going to be a guy that we're talking about in the top five heading into next season. But when he has his years where he doesn't put up the touchdown numbers, you get more performances that are in line with some of these bottom-end tight end ones, which it can be crucial. <laughs> Excuse me. It can be crucial when you spend that high of a draft pick on a tight end, like the second round, third round, and he only gives you a bottom tight end one performance on a week-to-week basis. That can really hinder your team. 
that's why it's so hard for me to draft tight ends early. Because if you miss, even on a guy that you don't think is a miss, even a guy you think is elite, if you wind up missing that season, it might sink you. Because it took you out of position to get those extra running backs and extra wide receivers at that top echelon level. That's kind of the problem with these tight ends. That's why missing on them is is so hard. Why wanting to draft them high is so hard, even when they're elite guys. I do believe Darren Waller will continue to be that. I mean, he's falling into another system that's used to utilizing the tight end position, and rest assured, I guarantee they will use his skill set. But that's what happened to Darren Waller. The decrease in touchdowns was the biggest issue, more so than anything else, more so than having games where he was disappointingly targeted or anything like that. It was a decrease in touchdowns that was more of the issue than anything else. All right, so we do have some tight ends I want to talk about that came outside my top 12. Obviously, the first one being Kyle Pitts. That's right, Kyle Pitts, 13th in my consistency grades. He only finished inside the top 12 44% of his games, and he actually is one of the few guys who played all 17 games. So he played all season long. 44% of them inside the top 12. Kyle Pitts is so weird to reflect upon. He is. Because on one hand, he had a great rookie season for a tight end. He had over 1,000 yards. That was third. He was third in tight end receiving yards. And yet he was still... Only seventh overall in scoring and half point PPR. And he comes in at 13th in our consistency grades. I'll give you one guess as to why. It was the touchdowns. It was the touchdowns. One. Atlanta, hear me now. I am begging you. Do not, do not give Kyle Pitts the curse that you guys gave Julio Jones. Do not make your number one generational pass catcher Somebody who's allergic to the end zone for absolutely no reason at all. Remember, that's what they did to Julio Jones. Every year we sat there and said, Julio Jones would be hands down the number one receiver, not even a conversation every single year if we knew he could actually get more than like five touchdowns. (laughs) I think it only happened like one or two years. There was this, this curse where Julio could only be involved in like the in between the 20 in between the 20s and could not be involved in the red zone and never put up the touchdowns that his skill set and his size to dictate. Don't do it to Kyle Pitts too, please. I beg you Atlanta, don't do it to Kyle Pitts too. One touchdown for a guy that was your number one pass catcher, your number one offensive weapon period for the majority of the season. You lost Calvin Ridley, Cordell Patterson got hurt, wasn't the same player since after that. One touchdown? Just don't give him the curse. That's all I'm asking. 15.1 yards per reception. That was number one. So there's a lot of things to like about Kyle Pitts. There's a lot of things that left you with a sour taste in your mouth. Now, this is one of those ones that I did get right. I said, don't draft him as a top five tight end, which a lot of people were doing at his ADP, because you were drafting him at his ceiling. Now, seventh overall is not bad, but remember, that had a lot to do with the fact that he played all 17 games. He was 13th in points per game, which oddly oddly enough puts him at where we have him consistently graded at. He needs to score those touchdowns. Give him the ball in the red zone, Atlanta. Now, he's still a generational talent. He'd be my number one, number two, excuse me, number two tight end in Dynasty right behind Mark Andrews. 
And we'll see where I have him ranked heading into 2022, heading into his sophomore year. He'll be one of the top end tight ends. And he's somebody with upside. We have not seen the breakout of Kyle Pitts yet, even with a thousand yard season. So yeah, I'm very excited about Kyle Pitts moving forward, but just Atlanta, listen up. Let's talk about Zach Ertz real quick. Cause he comes in at my tight end 14 on our consistency grades here. He actually kind of tied with Kyle Pitts uh, as far as his percentage inside the top 12, which was 44%. Week 7 through 18, he was the tight end 4. So he was an elite top 5 tight end. So apparently, Zach Ertz, if given enough volume, can still get the job done. And I emphasize volume. Okay, because the majority of that was without DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins only played two games within that stretch that Zach Ertz was traded to Arizona. So Vine was the name of the game because he wasn't getting a lot of yards per reception. He wasn't necessarily racking up the touchdowns. He wasn't going down the field. But Hopkins is out. Christian Kirk is what he is. He's a, you know, a boomer bust type of wide receiver. AJ Green's a shell of himself. And for whatever reason, Rondale Moore was only allowed to be a gadget player wide receiver was never allowed to actually take over and legitimately play the slot at all last year why i don't know but he wasn't allowed to do it he was never able to step up in his role what could have been so zachard's got the feast so half point full point ppr leagues zachard's was great we'll see what happens is there a chance he goes back to arizona sure as I mentioned earlier in the show, though, Gronk's rumored to go there, so there's not a given that Ertz is going to be back with Arizona. He may go somewhere else. So we really can't give you any kind of good fantasy advice until we know exactly where he's going to wind up at because he's not a guy who's a good enough athlete anymore that we were like, wherever he goes, he'll be in the conversation for a top 10 guy. He's not that guy. He needs the volume. He needs to be in a situation where he's going to be targeted as one of the top pass catchers on the team, and it needs to be a pass-first offense at that, too. Because he's not a good athlete anymore. That much is for sure. One more guy I want to talk about real quickly, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I wanted to mention Noah Fant. He came in at 18th for me on my consistency grades. This is another one of those guys that I did get right. I had a lot of wrong calls, but I did get these two guys right. He was on my bust list. And it was for no other reason than too many pass catchers, not good quarterback play, and Pat Shermer is more of a balanced guy, not a pass-first guy. That's what all came to fruition. We'll see what changes with Nathaniel Hackett. We'll see if Denver is able to get Aaron Rodgers or not. But even if he does, you're still going to have the problem of you have a bunch of receivers, more importantly, Albert O was getting into his target share, and that was the biggest problem of all. Does that continue with the new regime? That remains to be seen. But Noah Fant, while I love his athletic ability and I love his talent, is in a very crowded situation if they do not get an elite quarterback for me to believe that he can actually be a top 10 guy like he should be. But yeah, I just wanted to mention Noah Fant there at 18. Remember, next week we'll be back, same time, same place, with the Coaches Changes Fantasy Impact. Chris Dahauer will be back next week. We're kicking off Season 4 of the MD's Fantasy Football Show next week. I want to thank all of you guys for making it possible. Very excited to do so, and we're going to make sure your champions 
going into 2022, without a doubt. Everybody take care. We'll talk to you real soon. Follow us on social media at Billy Bam, the FF show and subscribe to our YouTube channel with a five-star review from your favorite podcast app. I'm Dan Mater. See you next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.